Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. Today's article was first published on November 20th of 2011 under the headline, Black Sheep of the Union Army Was Oregon's Last Civil War Vet. If you had told James W. Smith of Lebanon that people would one day visit his grave to pay tribute to his service in the Union Army during the Civil War, he might have laughed. He might also have run for the door. The unit of the Union Army in which Smith served had a bit of a reputation, see. During their three-month operating career before the Army wised up and disbanded them, Smith's unit became known among regular Army units as Olney's 40 Thieves. The story of the 40 Thieves Company is an obscure one, and it hasn't been studied much. There isn't a lot of information about it out there. But we do know that it formed as a unit of 40 citizen soldiers under the command of brothers Nathan and Orville Olney late in the war, in July 1864. Its official name was Olney's Detachment of the Oregon Cavalry, and it was tasked with patrolling and providing security for important parts of the Columbia River Gorge. This it may in fact have done, but it's tempting to think the Olney Detachment's real contribution to history was the invention, or at least the refinement, of the art of security theater. Today, of course, a modern form of security theater is performed daily in hundreds of airports across the country, especially the ones equipped with backscatter scanners. A stranger in an official-looking hat looks at pictures of you naked and talks to you like a New Orleans cop interrogating a murder suspect and confiscates your toothpaste before letting you on the airplane. The idea is to inconvenience you so much that you think the security guys are really on the ball and quit worrying about the headline you read earlier this year about the loaded 38 special that fell out of someone's luggage at LAX. The Only Brothers were early adopters of a different form of security theater, which they practiced up and down the Columbia River Gorge. They had it working so that not only did it provide a pantomime of security-related action on their part, it paid nice financial dividends as well. Here's how it worked. At the time, Union Army soldiers enjoyed some of the finest clothing to be found on the frontier, including long, heavy blue wool coats that were much prized. The Olney boys developed a nice little scam in which the company would sell off its coats and other valuable army stuff in one town and then go to another. There, they would claim to have just returned from action against Indians in which their supplies were seized by the enemy. Then they would send word to the army that they needed more. They did this several times. They also acquired a reputation for, as historian Randall B. Fletcher puts it, fundraising from the citizens they were supposed to be protecting. Surely we can't credit the only company with having invented the protection racket, but it appears they weren't strangers to the concept either. And that is probably why, in October 1864, at a time when the Union Army needed every man it could get hold of, it canned these 40 outright. Some of them may have found their way into other military units, but Olney's company as such ceased to exist eight months before the war ended. Now, let's skip ahead to September 1950. The commander of the Grand Army of the Republic, Theodore A. Penland of Portland, has just died. 
The state of Oregon grieves the loss of what it thinks is the last surviving veteran of the American Civil War. Penland was the kind of veteran that makes a state proud. As a lad of 16 in Illinois, he desperately wanted to join the army and fight, but he wasn't the kind of kid who can tell a lie and feel okay about it, so he was turned away twice when they asked his age. Finally, he actually wrote the number 18 on two pieces of paper and stuck one in each boot so that he could tell the recruiter that he was, quote, over 18 now. That did the trick. After the war, Penland moved out west and joined the Grand Army of the Republic, the exclusive Civil War Veterans Association. In the GAR, Penland distinguished himself as he'd never been able to in the actual army. By the time he moved to Portland in his 70s, he was already high in the organization's rankings, a sought-after public speaker and radio personality who loved to talk about his experiences in the war and the time he saw President Abraham Lincoln. In 1949, at the very last annual GAR meeting, the surviving members of the GAR voted Penland as their commander-in-chief, a title he held until he died. So Theodore Penland of Portland was the last commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic. When he died, the state of Oregon grieved, thinking it had lost its last Civil War veteran. But sometime later, somehow, it came to the state's attention that it had missed one. That's right. Oregon's last surviving Civil War vet was not the heroically active and patriotic Penland, but, not to beat around the bush too much, one of Olney's 40 thieves. That would be James W. Smith. After being booted out of the army with his comrades and co-conspirators, Smith had settled in Lebanon and lived a quiet, law-abiding life. He never applied for a pension. He apparently never even contacted the GAR. Perhaps he was embarrassed by the wildness of his youth. Or perhaps he thought he might have warrants. Who knows? Smith died at the age of 108, six months later than Penland. And it took a while for Oregon to figure out its mistake. But on June 23, 2010, the Sons of Union veterans officially rectified it when they gathered around his modest grave in the Oddfellows Cemetery and in a graveside service including a musket salute, affixed a brass plaque to the stone, identifying him as Oregon's last Civil War vet. It's hard not to notice what a great metaphor Smith was for his home state of Oregon. Wild and more than a little notorious in its youth, grown mature and mellow with age, but still with that old rascally twinkle in its eye. That's the end of today's story. Key sources in which included works by Randall B. Fletcher, the Sons of Union Veterans website, and the archives of the Lebanon Express. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me... You might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are offbeat Oregon history type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. 
Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.